for joining us on another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study Podcast, taught by Pastor Kirk Hall. We pray that through this podcast that you would grow your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, please open your Bibles and follow along as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truths to your heart. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, and we're going to begin our study tonight there. As you know, we are in a study entitled Beyond Calvin, Calvinism, the Biblical Doctrines of Grace. And we've titled it this, of course, for obvious reasons, because these are not the ideas of one particular man, but these are the things that Scripture openly and honestly and unapologetically teaches. And so we're going to continue to look at those things. And we, we started last week, before we ever get into the doctrines of grace proper, we, we, we looked at the sovereignty of God in salvation. We looked at sovereign grace. And the reason that we do that is because um, when we minimize God's sovereignty, we minimize the rest of these doctrines. And you're going you're gonna to find people who do that. They're, they're going to uh, minimize one of these elements of the doctrines that we're going to be looking at. And usually that begins with reducing the sovereignty of God. And, and once you jump off into that, you've jumped off into potential error and heresy. You can't minimize the sovereignty of God. He can't be 99% sovereign and still be sovereign. You're either 100% sovereign or you're not sovereign at all. And so we talked about that last week. And what we're going to talk about this week is what is known as total depravity or or total inability, the total depravity or the inability of man. When I say that, that is that they are totally given over to their sin and that they are unable, incapable, they cannot come to God in their own power by their own will. So we're going to begin here because we can't go any further in understanding the doctrines of grace if we don't start with the total depravity of man. And many people, you're going to find it strange, some of you, because you've been taught properly, those of you who walked verse by verse through Romans, the doctrine of total depravity jumps off of the pages. And we're going to reference Romans a lot tonight as we will throughout the study. But the biblical teachings of total depravity um, oftentimes, and especially in our day and the attacks that come against uh, the doctrines of grace, they are definitely minimized, the, the, the teachings and the doctrines that surround total depravity. We don't want to fall in the error of doing that because what we teach and what we believe to be true according to Scripture is that uh, man is utterly, detestably sinful through and through. And without the sovereign gift of God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, man will remain under the wrath of God. He will spend an eternity facing the judgment of God in hell. Now, I want you to understand, <clears throat> when we embrace these doctrines, and we're going to see that they're scriptural. In fact, we're not going to have a whole lot of fancy points tonight. We're going to have some points, but most of our, what we would refer to as subpoints going to be, what does the Word of God say about this? We're going to read a lot of Scripture. We're going to talk about the Bible as far as this doctrine applies a lot tonight. But I want you to begin to process these things against what you hear a lot of times even in Christian circles. Um, because it seems enough to say that man is totally depraved. We know this, right? Let's be honest about you. In your sinful you, you think things that are wicked and depraved. I'm not going to ask you to divulge that before any of you start to get uncomfortable without even trying to think these things. Those things pop into your mind, your sinful mind, even as a believer. Now go back to before you were in Christ and how wretched and how wicked that you were before He began this work of grace in you. Now, many people, they just will not entertain the doctrine of total depravity. And this is 
nothing new. Um, but I don't want any of you to fall into that error. I want you to see just how wretched you really are apart from Jesus Christ and how dependent we are upon His grace in saving us. And I know what many people often go to immediately when you start talking about total depravity and total inability to come to God. They throw out, right, the old statement. What about free will? What about free will? I want to tell you this before we get started. Don't waste your time looking for that unicorn, that Sasquatch. Uh, it's a man-made myth. It's, it's false. Man does not have free will. In fact, you don't have free will. You are either in bondage to your sin as an unbeliever still, or you are in bondage to Christ by grace through faith in Christ and that alone. You are a slave to Christ. But free will is a myth. In fact, Spurgeon said this. He said, free will I have often heard of, but I have never seen. I have always met with will and plenty of it. But it has either been led captive by sin or held in the blessed bonds of grace. I want you to pay close attention to that. Because you are either in bondage to your will, your sin, your will to sin. That is the only will that you have. Or you are in bondage to the will of Christ through the atoning work of Christ. Free will is a figment of the depraved mind. It is a person's thought excuse on why they haven't truly surrendered to Christ. So, let's get rid of all the myths. There are lots of myths surrounding total depravity. Before we get started, I want to erase all those myths from your mind. Uh, it begins with a myth that says this, man is basically good. That's a false idea. We know that man is not basically good. We can, we can look even in our day at the culture around us, the unbelieving world that is inundated our culture and our society. We, we can say this, no, the total opposite of that has to be true. Because we see in our day more than we've ever seen probably in the history of our country, people calling Wrong and right, and right wrong, and people are so depraved in their thinking and in, in, in their living and all the things that we see. And so you, you have to understand, myth number one is that man is basically good. That is not biblical. I'm going to show you that tonight. Man is not basically good. In fact, there is no basic good in sinful man. He's not basically good at all. Myth number two is man has free will to choose right or wrong, good or evil, sin or righteousness. Let me just break the news to you. Apart from Christ, you do not have the capability of choosing any of those things. In fact, all you do is choose wrong because every single one of your motives, every single one of your thoughts, every single one of your efforts as an unbeliever is tainted by sin. So people who say man has free will to choose right or wrong, good or evil, sin or righteousness, they have chosen to believe a myth. That's why we started last week with sovereign grace. It's God who does the saving. Because if it was up to you, you would have never chosen God. But thankfully, He has chosen His own for Himself. I know, hard to swallow for a lot of people. And let me just tell you this. I will be the most patient person with you in all the world as you study the Word of God and as these questions are answered from the scriptures about these topics. But know this. The reason that I tell you these things is not so, right, you can go start an argument with your friends. Not so that you can seem like you know something that other people don't know. So that you can understand the magnitude of what God has done in saving us and so that you can praise Him and glorify Him from a position of humility, knowing this, that you had nothing to offer a holy God. You are totally depraved. Nothing good in you. So many believe the myth that man has that free will to choose right or wrong. Again, it's a figment of their own depraved and sinful mind. Uh, many people believe this myth. 
<clears throat> that man is born innocent until he chooses to do wrong. Now, I'll make it real easy on you. Sign up to work in the nursery on Sunday morning and see if man is innocent when he's born into this earth. You don't have to teach those little children how to do wrong. They come into this earth knowing how to do wrong because they do wrong because of a basic principle that is in them, steering them and driving them. That is that principle of sin. So man attempting to deny his sinful condition, and again, we see it all the time these days. Man attempting to deny his sinful condition. It's like a child standing in front of his father, screaming at the top of his lungs, I didn't take the cookies from the cookie jar. Dad, I didn't take the cookies from the cookie jar. While the whole time, that young man is ignoring all of the cookie crumbs that have littered the front of his shirt. His dad knows how guilty he is. He stands guilty. He stands condemned. The evidence is there. So the evidence of total depravity is there. It's in us. It's been in us since before we entered into this world. While we were in our mother's womb, because we inherited this from our fathers, we inherited this from Adam all the way down through the lineage of man, just as God's Word is going to teach us that we did. So this seems to be obvious, right? Total depravity. I'm on board because I know me. I know what I am apart from Christ, what I was before I was in Christ. I can be honest with myself about that. The self-righteous Pharisee, he can't be honest with himself about that. He still thinks for some reason that there's some innate good in him. Well, I'm here to tell you this, brother. Listen, there's not. Stop being deceived. Stop deceiving yourself. There is no innate good in you. The only good in any of us is Jesus Christ, period. End of discussion. So there ought to be a cut and dried situation, shouldn't it? Discussion should be over. We should all go, yay. Total depravity, let's go home. But that's not really the case, is it? Because this has been something that has been debated fiercely throughout history. We can trace this back. I mean, I told you, I'm going to give you whole lessons on John Calvin, Jacobius Arminius. But I will tell you this, that this goes back to that debate between Calvin and Arminius in the 16th and 17th century. And of course, in the 17th century, it was the followers of, of Calvin uh, defending those truths at the Senate of Dort, as we've already talked about. But the thing is, when we look at this, I want you to see this is nothing new. Right? There are going to be people who try to convince you that there's got to at least be a little bit of good in us. Don't listen to that. Because if you listen to that, you might believe it. And if you begin to believe that, then you're going to believe that there might be a little bit of good in you. And then you are going to step out from humility and you're going to enter into your own selfish pride. And we know this, pride always comes before the what? The fall. So when we look at this, this is not a new argument. Calvin versus Arminius. Luther versus Erasmus in the early 16th century. You can go study this. Erasmus wrote the diatribe on free will, um, attacking and approaching uh, the teachings of Luther from a humanistic or what we would know as a secular or emotional standpoint of reasoning, um, teaching that man, again, has enough innate good in him to choose God and to bring salvation for himself. Luther, of course, responds with his great work, one of the greatest works in history, um, definitely in church history, uh, known as the bondage of the will where Luther explained from the Scripture that, that, that man's will is completely held captive by sin, and that man is totally unable to choose God apart from God's grace. It's important that we understand these things. I know what you're going to ask. Do I have to understand this to be saved? No, you don't. God does the saving. Here's the thing. It will serve you well to understand this so that as a saved person, you can give God all the glory that God is due and not strip him of any of it. So this argument, Calvin to Arminius, Luther to Erasmus, Augustine versus Pelagius, we see this in the 5th century. I'm Augustine, the bishop of Hippo, he, he believed in original sin, meaning this, uh, original sin says, when Adam fell to sin, all mankind fell with him. You've been here any amount of time. You know that's what we teach here at Key Life Fellowship. Why? Because we want to be biblical, and that's what the Bible says. Augustine taught this principle. There was a man, Pelagius, 
He was a Romano a British monk, and what happened to him is he believed in the fact that, from a secular, secular view again, that original sin can't be. That total depravity did not fall upon man from the sin of Adam. However, we know this, that Romans chapter 5, chapter 3, we could go on. Romans explains to us that that is exactly what happened. Romans 5, in detail, actually using the scriptures concerning Adam and how sin entered in and how sin came upon all men through Adam's sin. But it's even earlier than this that this debate happened. You guys who went through Romans, you know this. The Apostle Paul, obviously, convincing the church at Rome of these doctrines. He was anticipating what their rebuttal would be because he knew there would be some rebuttal. Every time we see him teach a principle, he knows the questions that they're going to ask, and he answers the question because they're not there in person, face-to-face. So even in Paul's day, to the church at Rome, he addresses the topic, Romans chapter 3. And he let them know this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. We know this. Many of you have known this since you were a child. How often we forget how it ties into the doctrine of total depravity. He taught them this in Romans 3, not just there. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. We know this. There's none righteous. What? Not even one. There is no one who is good. There is no good in mankind in and of himself. So we've seen that uh, this debate... We trace it back in history, Calvin to Arminius, Luther to Erasmus, Augustine to Pelagius, the Apostle Paul even discussing it to the Romans, but let's go even further back to Christ. Because what we're going to see in the study is that Jesus Christ, our Master, our Teacher, He taught on every single doctrine of grace. And we're going to see what He taught about it. Now Jesus, the Lord, Luke chapter 13 We see him teach this doctrine. Luke chapter 13, it says this, it says, now there were, verse 1, it says, now there were some some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Jesus was asking them a question. Did these people suffer under the hand of Pilate this way because they're worse sinners than everyone else? Watch what Jesus does. He says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. He's letting them know we are all equally guilty before a holy God. Total sinners. He says, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? He said, when the Tower fell on these people, killing 18 of them, do you think it's because they are more guilty of sin than the rest of you? He says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will, here's this word again, all perish. Then we know this, in John chapter 3, Jesus, again, the Christ, teaching on these doctrines. He tells us in John chapter 3, of verse 18, that the unbeliever is condemned already. You came into this world condemned because of sin. It's not that you're condemned because you haven't believed. You are condemned, period. And if you remain in a state of unbelief, you remain in a state of condemnation. Please understand the teachings of Christ in regard to this doctrine. It's not a new debate. However, in every single case that I have described for you tonight, one side defends their stance with biblical truth with the Scriptures. The other side, and you're going to see this to be true even in our time, the other side 
defends against the doctrine of total depravity, not with the Scriptures. They defend with human feelings, philosophies, human reasoning, an emotional approach. They don't use the Scriptures in their proper context to defend this doctrine. So what we're going to do, as the title says, we are going to look at the total depravity of man according to the Scripture. That's why we have labeled this the biblical doctrines of grace. Galatians chapter 3, you've all been waiting for it. You turn there, you're saying, when is he going to get to it? Here it is. Watch what it says here in case you don't believe in the total depravity of man. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. One verse. Watch this. But the Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. You guys have a good night. Right? It's that simple. The Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Why are we even debating these things any longer? Every lost person in this world is held captive by sin. We're going to see that tonight as we look at the Word of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this. It says, man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from good, and dead in sin, watch this, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. That's in chapter 9, section 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you don't know what the Westminster Confession of Faith is, please educate yourself on what it is. I won't take the time tonight because I have taken the time in the past to tell you the importance of that confession. But I bring you to another confession in fact, it's the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Confession of Faith, that if you're here a member of Key Life Fellowship, I pray that you have read through this, and I pray that you agree to the teachings of this. Do I say you have to believe everything in its entirety? No, I'll tell you this. There are some things that I don't necessarily agree with in their entirety, but they are secondary issues. I don't put my faith in any man's confession. But what these two confessions do is they bring to the table theologians from yesteryear who were dedicated to sound biblical truth, who got their thinking, their theology, their doctrine from the Holy Word of God. Now, when we read the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 6, paragraph 2 through 4, it says this. Paragraph 2 says, Our first parents, by this sin, fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all. Of course, they're going to take us to Scripture there. We know that they're going to take us to Romans chapter 5, but we see that. All becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. That's, chapter, that's paragraph 2 of chapter 6 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689. Now, these theologians of that day said this is where we stand on this issue based on Scripture. Now, the next paragraph, paragraph 3, says they, being the root and by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of the sin was imputed. So just as we talk about the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ in our lives, we know this. The sin of Adam was imputed to all unbelievers who have ever existed. Now, in case you don't realize this, all of us at one time were unbelievers, born into this world, condemned already. He goes on and it says this, and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation, being now conceived in sin. We're born in it. And by nature, children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death. Scripture after scripture after scripture telling us why they say that this is the truth. And all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. Paragraph 4 says this, from this original corruption, talking about the corruption of Adam there in the garden, from this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual 
transgressions. He says, we're born depraved, total sinners, incapable of coming to a holy God of our own volition and our own will. So when we say that man is totally depraved, we're not saying that he is as bad as he could be. I'm so thankful that I was never as bad as I could be. Well, because I know the depravity of my mind. You know the same of you. You know the thoughts that corrupt your sinful mind. It lets you know how bad you could be were it not for the grace of God rescuing you from your total depravity. We're not saying that we're as bad as we could be. We're simply saying this, that man in and of himself is utterly and completely sinful by nature because he received that nature from fallen man through Adam, throughout the generations of man, all the way to where we are now. So that's what we're looking at tonight, total depravity. We're saying that a totally depraved man, apart from redemption through Jesus Christ, is the first thing you have on your list. Write it down. Spiritually dead. That's what we're saying tonight. That man is spiritually dead apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. As for you, when we're done with these doctrines of grace, we're going to go into Ephesians verse by verse. And so we're going to have a few little nuggets that we're going to look at along the way. But, but look at this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. When you followed the ways of this world, what are the ways of this world? Turn on the news. You'll find out what the ways of this world are. Wretched sinfulness, wickedness, depravity. He said you used to follow these things when you were a sinner, separated from God, before you were in Christ. He says you also followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. How many of us? You want to argue total depravity? How do you argue total depravity there? All of us. Every single one of us. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest. The rest of what? The rest of humanity since Adam. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I want you to understand this. The reason that we teach the doctrine of total depravity is because man is spiritually dead. There's a man by the name of Leighton Flowers. He wrote a book, and that book is entitled The Potter's Promise. And what he does is he tries to somehow disprove the doctrine's of grace. He was once Calvinistic in his thinking, and I guess he decided one day to get unbiblical and went the other way. He says this in his book, and, and I have the book. In fact, somebody gave it to me because they were concerned for me, I think. You can pull the book off my bookshelf. In the back of the book, in case someone reads it long after I'm gone, it has a note in the back in red pen, and it says 99.9% of this book is garbage. And I list the reasons why, biblically. But this man says in this book, and I'm not here to pick a fight against him, but I can't believe that a man who calls himself a theologian could even say this statement that he said. He says this, and I quote, We are never said to be corpse-like or unresponsive like Lazarus in the tomb. This is an analogy that is is never linked to soteriology. That's the doctrine of, of salvation. He says it's never an example that's linked to soteriology anywhere in Scripture. That's on page 65 if you don't believe me of this book. Now, how can you read Ephesians chapter 2 when it plainly says, as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, and say there's no way, there's no way that Scripture teaches that we're ever in some type of dead corpse-like state, having to be sovereignly resurrected by God and regenerated to life through the new birth. How can you really believe that? But many people do. So I want you to not fall into that trap and into that camp for sure because the Bible does use the analogy not just there in Ephesians chapter 2 many times 
of the fact that man is spiritually dead. And he's spiritually dead from birth. Psalm 51.5, the psalmist said this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Uh, That's written from David, a man after God's own heart who understood God. And he's saying this, Surely there's nothing good in me. There never has been apart from the grace of God. The psalmist in Psalm 58.3 says this, Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward and speak lies. You don't have to learn how to be totally depraved. You are born spiritually dead. And you are born spiritually dead beyond human repair. I love that when we look at that, there in Ephesians chapter 2, he reminds us because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And he reminds us it is by grace you have been saved because we are beyond human repair. How many people have you met who said, man, I'm trying to get my life straight, (laughs) trying to get some things in order? The next time you see that person, they're usually worse off than they were before because now they're discouraged because they've realized, I can't get my life in order. There is nothing about you that will allow you to do that. You are beyond human repair. You can't fix yourself. The relationships in this world can't fix you. Well, how many people have turned to relationships to try to fix themselves? Oh, I, I, I needed something in my life, and so I found this person who was going to help me be the person that I always wanted to be. <laughs> you just corrupted that person by your depravity. Bad company corrupts good character. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches us in the New Testament. And so when we look at this, I want us to see that we are beyond human repair, spiritually dead. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 Here's what he says again. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. When you were dead. Dead people can't do anything. That's where all the people say there's enough good in us so that we can believe. Yeah, too bad you're dead. You can't respond. These dead people are not responsive. You're dead spiritually. He says, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, and God made you alive with Christ. Do you see how this keeps happening? We're dead in sin. We're totally depraved. The only hope that we have is Christ. He says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code, of course, talking about the law with its regulations, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. Why did the law stand opposed to us? Why was it against us? Because what the law did is it showed us that we are truly depraved sinners. You don't believe you're a depraved sinner? Do this. Go read the Ten Commandments. How many of you have ever broken at least one of those Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. Scripture says you've broken them all. You've broken them all. So you are an idolater, an adulterer, a thief, a murderer. Nobody had to teach you how to break that one, but in breaking that one, you broke them all. And we know this. (laughs) We don't really want to tell tell everyone how many we've really broken. But what those commands were designed to do was to show you how messed up you really are and how you need the grace of God to save you. He says, having canceled the written code, the law with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. The only hope that you have of spiritual life and righteousness and resurrection from spiritual death is the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we see that we are spiritually dead, hopeless, helpless from birth, beyond repair. The only one who can save us is Christ. and He saves us through the precious blood sacrifice of his atonement that he shed on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. So when we say that sinful man is totally depraved, we're saying this. We're saying he's totally depraved because the Bible says that a sinner apart from Christ is spiritually dead and incapable of true righteousness. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Does that mean you can't get up and go to work in the morning? Does that mean you can't provide for your family? No, he's saying you can do nothing spiritual, nothing that is going to bring glory to God, nothing of true righteous value to God. You can do nothing apart from him. 
So we see that when we say that man is totally depraved, that we're saying he's spiritually dead. Not only that, we're saying that he's satanically driven. No, this is, this is an ouch. To say that at one time we were satanically driven, that doesn't mean that any of you went and tattooed a pentagram on your forehead or on the wall of your bedroom or you had a seance or you sacrificed cats on Halloween. Those are obvious things. You may have been a little less obvious, but nonetheless, you were controlled by Satan. Jesus has an interesting conversation in John chapter 8. He's having a conversation with the religious people of his day. Pharisees. He's talking to them, and, and they're saying this about themselves. Abraham is our father, they answered. They thought just because they were earthly descendants of Abraham that he was really their father. They had missed the doctrine of total depravity. Jesus is going to clear it up for them. They said, Abraham's our father. They answered. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do things Abraham did. As it is, you were determined to kill me. These men claiming to be Abraham's children were behind the scenes plotting how they could kill Jesus the Christ. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. He says, I know that you're trying to kill me because I know the truth. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. Here's what they say to him. We are not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. <laughs> They thought. And for all the Americans who think just because your money says in God we trust that you're a, ch a child of God, you're incorrect in your thinking. You're a child of sin and you are a child controlled by Satan. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. The doctrine of total inability, total depravity. He said, you can't even hear what I'm saying. You belong to your father. Watch this. The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and the father lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Who do they belong to? According to Jesus, they belong to Satan. He controlled them. They are satanically driven. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God. Watch this. And that the whole world, talking about the unbelieving system of the world, all of those who are in this system, he says, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We talk about total depravity. We're telling you, not only are you spiritually dead, you're satanically driven. Satan controls you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 speaks again what we looked at a moment ago. He says, this is the way you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. How could we make that any clearer? Oh, but the world is deceived into thinking, aren't they in our day? How many times do we hear it? We're all just children of God. No, we're not. The only children of God are those who have been redeemed by the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, period. Until then, man is totally depraved, spiritually dead, satanically driven. He is controlling you. He is controlling your life. You have fallen into the trap of his deception, and there you will remain unless the grace of God reveals your need for Christ, drawing you out of the darkness of your sin into his marvelous light, followed by God-given faith and repentance. They're satanically driven, controlled by Satan, but also confused by Satan. Don't we live in a world confused by Satan? And every time you look around, you're asking yourself that question, how can they think this is right, right? Well, let's talk about the topics of the day. How can a woman think looking like a man is right? How can a man 
think having a sexual relation with another man is right. How can he justify this? How can a woman do the same? How can a man justify even a heterosexual relationship with someone who is not his wife, according to the Word of God? But They justify it all day long, don't they? They're constantly calling wrong right and right wrong. Doing as they see fit in their own eyes. They are confused. And why do they see that it's okay in their own eyes? Because their eyes are blinded. That's why they're confused. If we were to turn off the lights here, and cover all of your eyes, and tell, you how to, tell you to find a way to get out of this room, there'd be a little confusion going on, wouldn't there? We all remember the Childhood game that we played, Blind Man's Bluff, right? We loved when our teacher would bring that out. We're going to play Blind Man's Bluff. That means we don't have to do reading, writing, or arithmetic. So let's play a game. Turn off all the lights, put a blindfold on a kid. We played that little game. So here's the thing. There are many, all, in fact, who are apart from Christ, confused by Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age. Who's he talking about? Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why is man incapable of coming to God on his own? He's blinded, blinded and controlled by Satan, spiritually dead, totally confused. Lost man is walking through this world in total darkness. It's no coincidence that God uses that parallel over and over again in His Word that those who are in Christ are in the light and those who are not in Christ are in the darkness. The only thing that can cancel the darkness, we know this, is the light. And you, before Christ, were walking around in darkness and it's He who brought light into your life, leading you and ushering you through the Word of God out of that darkness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Totally depraved means that you're satanically driven, that you're spiritually dead. Not popular teaching. I know that. Especially not in our secular day, our liberal day where many of the theologians have even gone liberal in their thinking that keep pounding that lie in your head that hey, we're just all children of God. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not biblically true because we've just seen it in the Bible. We are spiritually dead, satanically driven. The devil Apart from Jesus Christ, is your father. He is your master. He who is who is controlling you. Your sinful lust, because you are dead in your sin and in your transgressions, is what you are mastered by. So when we talk about total depravity, we're talking about spiritual deadness, the fact that we are satanically driven. Thirdly, we're sinfully doomed. Sinfully doomed. Man is doomed by sin apart from the intervention of God through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Read it with me. Open your Bibles to that page. Don't read it later. Read it now. Watch this. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? He's making the comparison, the Jews, the Gentiles. He's asking the question, are the Jews any better than the Gentiles? Are the Gentiles any better than the Jews? He goes on and says this. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under Sin. Now, you go ahead and you underline that, and you go check me out. That means you're buried by sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All. How many? Let me tell you what that word all means in the Greek. Every single one of us. All. That's exactly what it means. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why? Because they're darkened. Blinded. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We look at God's commands, it shows us what? That we're kind of sinful. 
we're a little sinful. The law of God shows us that we are in complete opposition to the holiness of God. One microcell of sin offends the holiness of God. We miss the standard and we fall short. We're all under sin. He says, and it's through the law that we become conscious of this. But now righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is Paul saying here? We're all totally depraved. And the only hope that any of us have in seeing reconciliation to our Creator, the holy, almighty God of all, the only hope that we have of any reconciliation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. We're sinfully doomed without Christ. I want you to understand that tonight, that man isn't a sinner because he sins. That's what the other side of this argument tries to say, that man is a sinner because he sins. You write this down. Man sins because he is a sinner. That is who he is by his very nature. Any of you in this room, did you have to have anyone teach you? Think back to the first sin that you can remember. The first thing that you did that you knew was wrong. Anyone have to teach you to do that? Some of you were all by yourself. You did it, and there was no other influence but you. It's your natural bend without Christ. So without Christ, man remains sinfully doomed. Please understand that. If you were without Christ tonight, there is no little bit of good in you that he's just going to, at the end, look at that little bit of good, and he's going to overlook all the other sin. It's not going to work that way. There's no good in you. It's time that we as men of God understand that. Why? Because it, it causes us to depend on his grace and his mercy all the more. All of us, apart from Christ, are under sin's control. No exception. That's what this means. That's what total depravity means. No exception. All of us. Psalm 14, verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand. Fair enough. Any who seek God. Fair enough. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even any of us in this room. None of us do any good that is not Christ doing a work of grace in us. All glory and honor belongs to Him. Please know that. There are no exceptions. There are none righteous. Just as Romans chapter 3 told us, just as Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rag. People must say, well, I know somebody who's not a believer, and they do good things. No, they don't. They do noble things. Those noble things that they do are tainted by their wretched sinfulness. Therefore, they are not accepted by a holy God. Our righteousness is that of filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Don't be deceived, men. I know you're raised up in the good old boy south, and there's many a good old boy who are going to split hell wide open. Thinking because that, uh, they go to church on Christmas and Easter and they stand during the Pledge of Allegiance and sing the national anthem at ball games. That somehow that's enough good for God to overlook their total depravity. It is not. There's none good. Because our sin sweeps us away. All of us are by nature opposed to God. Now, that's not an easy pill to swallow. Because again... We live in a country that lies on our money and says in God we trust and we don't trust in God at all. And if we are trusting in God, it's not the God of Scripture. All of us are by nature opposed to God. Colossians 1, 21. 
once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. What, where, did the, where did the once come from? Once, when you were in your totally depraved state, before Christ rescued you by His grace and His mercy through the sovereign work of God, before then, you were an enemy of God, alienated and cut off from a right relationship with Him. Simple man is opposed to God. Objects of His wrath. Just as it said in Ephesians 2 when we were there a moment ago in verse 3. Sinful man cannot submit to God. That's why we believe in total inability. You can't submit to God. For all the people who said, I walked in a church service and the music was playing and I decided. <laughs> really? You decided to contradict Scripture in saying that. You can't submit to God. Not in your depravity, you can't. Romans chapter 8. Verse 7 says this, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Watch this. Nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It's impossible. You can't please God in your flesh. You can't please God in your old nature. You can't please God at all apart from Jesus Christ. Please understand that. The only good in you is the imputed righteousness of Christ. And when the Father looks at us, His sons in Christ, He sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see your good deeds. He doesn't see your philanthropy. He doesn't see that you're a nice person or you treat people kind. Those things are all important. Why? Because they reflect Christ and the attitude and the heart of a true believer. But those things will not be credited to you as righteousness. Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imputed by the grace of God. Simple man cannot submit to God. There's absolutely no good in unregenerate men. The only good in us who have been born again is Christ. Is everybody clear on that? It's funny that we have to teach these things because they're so blatantly clear in Scripture, but yet we live in a time where people don't want to believe these things. Why? Because they actually want to be God. They want to be in control. They want to be in the driver's seat. They want to be in charge of their own destiny. I'm so thankful. God in His grace would not allow me to be in charge of my own destiny. Because I would have driven that ship straight to hell. There's no good in unregenerate men. Only sin. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. I told you we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. Jesus says this, For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. When he says these things come out of our heart, he's not talking about that organ that pumps blood through our body. He's talking about the very depths of our being, who we really are. And he says that man in his natural sinful state is nothing but evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Be honest with yourself. Either Jesus is right in what he says, or you're a pretty good old guy. But we all know this, the truth. And Jesus is right in what he says. Our heart is desperately wicked. It is. That is what we're saying when we talk about the total depravity of man. Man is sinfully doomed, totally held captive by their own sinful nature, apart from Jesus Christ. There is no hope for them. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure all things are pure. But to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. Nothing. Nothing in a corrupt, unbelieving man is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted, totally depraved. So when we teach the total depravity of sinful man, we are teaching that unless God graciously intervenes by regenerating and rescuing the sinner from their sin through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, then that sinner remains in a state of doom, not only in this life where the wrath of God abides upon him, 
but also for all eternity where the wrath of God will remain upon him in hell. And lastly, we talk about total depravity. Not only are we, when we look at this doctrine, sinfully doomed and spiritually dead and satanically driven, we're securely detained. You can't get out of this on your own. You are held captive. Romans chapter 6 tells us this. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin. When did I used to be slaves to sin? Before Christ. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I told you, there's no free will. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Again, stop the Sasquatch hunt. It's over. Recognize and be honest with yourself about who you are apart from Christ. Why? Because it's going to cause you to call, fall on your face tonight in humility and say, thank you, Jesus, that you rescued me because I could not have rescued myself. Thank you, Lord. It goes on to say in verse 18 of Romans chapter 6, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural self just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness. Either slavery to wickedness, slavery to righteousness. Leading to holiness. And when we were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. You were free from it. Why? Because you were held in bondage to your sin. You couldn't do anything righteous. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Man, we can make a list of those things, couldn't we, gentlemen? Those things result in death. Yeah, because the wages of sin is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Why? Because only those who have been made holy in Christ have eternal life. Only those who have been made holy in Christ will see God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Apart from Christ in your totally depraved state, you're securely detained by sin. You're cuffed and stuffed, as Roscoe Pico train would say. Some of you get that reference. Some of you younger guys say, what in the world are you talking about? We'll talk afterwards. I'll educate you. Life and things that matter. We're securely detained by sin, right? John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins. How many of you have sinned? Watch this. Everyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. He was letting the people of his day understand the doctrine biblical teaching of total depravity so they could see their need for the Savior. We are securely detained by sin. Sinful man held in bondage to his sinful will because he loves sin. Doesn't the lost man love sin? Just look at them. They're enjoying it, aren't they? They are. It doesn't even seem like they're enjoying it. They're enjoying it. They're feeding the cravings of their flesh, just like you and I, before we were in Christ, enjoyed it. Isn't it interesting how now that we're in Christ, it brings nothing but misery into our lives? We dabble in that old nature. But apart from Christ, men are detained, held bondage to their sin. They love it. John chapter 3, verse 19 this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Talking about Christ. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Their evil deeds proved that they love darkness in their depraved state more than the light. Oh, John was writing this in reference to the fact that Jesus came into the world, did great miracles, proved that he truly was God incarnate. Yet, man was so steeped in their bondage to sin, they loved it so much that they screamed, release Barabbas and crucify Christ. Man is totally depraved, securely detained by sin. If you're not in Christ today, please don't play around with this. You're held captive. By your sin. Why? Because you love it so much. 
You love it so much because you lack understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You are in need of God to open your eyes tonight and give you understanding through spiritual rebirth in Christ. To open your eyes to help you understand that you are totally depraved, and the only hope that you have is Christ and redemption through Christ, the grace of God being revealed to you. The sin has detained you and masters you. Oh, what a big word. Masters me. That's for all these big macho men. Nobody controls me. Really? You might want to consult the Word of God on that. Because you're either mastered by your sin which a lost man is, which I once was. You're mastered by Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, used to be, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Oh, I wish tonight that all of you men could say used to be. I used to be mastered by my sin. I used to be controlled by Satan. I, I used to be spiritually dead. I used to be ungodly in all my ways and wicked. I wish that every one of you could have that testimony. I pray that God would grace you with that testimony. That He would open your eyes to see the truth of your state of total depravity. That you would come to the realization tonight in your mind and in your heart that unless God intervenes in your life, you're destined for wrath and judgment and hell. That in that, He would open your eyes to the truth as only He could do, causing you to cry out for mercy and grace and to find that mercy and grace. The only mercy and grace that He offers to us because He loves us, and that mercy and grace is found in Christ and Christ alone. Surrender to Christ today, today is the day of salvation. Jesus said on a few different occasions. One in particular that I'll mention tonight, Luke chapter 16, verse 13. That you can't serve two masters. You are either serving the total depravity of your sin, still lost and undone without Christ and without God and without hope, or you're serving Christ. Who are you serving this day, men? When we teach the doctrine of total depravity, what we're saying is this, that unless Christ frees the sinner from the bondage that they are held in by their sin, they have no hope. Do you have hope? Has He graciously and sovereignly given you that hope, rescuing you from the total depravity of your sin? What the doctrine of total depravity does, and that's why we start here, is it puts sinful man right where we belong in danger of eternal wrath and judgment. No good merit to offer God. Right? Because if we had one little inkling of good, wouldn't we say, God, is this enough? <laughs> no, it's not. It's really not good. It was tainted by you, Kurt. God, is this enough? No, that's not enough. But what about this? I go to church sometimes. What about that? Is that good enough? No, that counts for nothing. But what is good enough? To which God would say, the sacrifice of my only begotten Son. That is the only thing that I accept. That is the only thing that I accept. Faith in that. And repentance due to that faith. That salvation work completely of God. We teach the doctrine of total depravity. We teach it not to make man bad. He already is bad. Tell man the truth about what he really is so that he'll see his need for Christ. If you need Christ today, just as Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need. Men, you have a great need for Christ because you are totally depraved. You need him to save you. If he has not, may he grace you this very day with forgiveness and eternal life in Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You so much. We don't have to be afraid of the truth of Scripture. 
We don't have to be afraid to say, Lord, I have nothing to offer holy God. I don't have to be ashamed because Christ bore my shame. But I can be honest and say that apart from you, Lord, I am nothing but an awful wretch. And I am so in need and so dependent upon your grace and your mercy. God, I pray that each man in this room would walk in that attitude in his heart, depending on Christ and Christ alone. Seeing the truth of who he really was apart from you. And thanking you all the more for rescuing him from that bondage and depravity of sin. And we'll give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.